from Kurtco Media. From the deserts of Morocco to the markets of Ecuador, the jungles of Cambodia, and the cloud forests of Costa Rica, today we're going to hear from G Adventures founder and transformational travel pioneer Bruce Poon Tip on the top destinations where your tourist dollars make the biggest difference. I'm Bruce Wallen, and this is Travel That Matters. everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Travel That Matters. This is the podcast where we explore the world's most exceptional and meaningful travel experiences, and we meet some of the fascinating people who make them possible. Now, when you talk about people who put together meaningful travel experiences, Bruce Poon Tip is pretty much at the top of that list. He's the founder of G Adventures, which bills itself as the world's largest small group adventure travel company. They pretty much go everywhere. African safaris, art tours of European cities, you name it. I mean, I think in Peru alone, they offer something like 70 different trips. And to be honest, these trips are kind of all over the map in terms of of hotels, amenities, age groups, and whatnot. Everything from private luxury journeys for boomers to backpacking and staying in hostels for Gen Z travelers. Bruce is going to tell us a bit about what the common threads are to all of those trips and how his somewhat unique philosophy about travel is core to everything G Adventures does. He's kind of an outsider in the travel world. He was, you know, he was talking about things like transformational travel long before most people were. And he's going to share his thoughts on how best to approach travel to ensure that both the traveler and the destination benefit. In fact, he's created something for G Adventures called the Ripple Score, which it basically ranks every single one of their tours with a number that, that lets travelers know how many of their dollars are staying within the communities that they visit. This is a huge focus for Bruce and for G Adventures, the idea of not only benefiting local communities, but also creating local experiences that make it better for, for everyone involved. And that's kind of the idea behind the Ripple Score. And, and Bruce is going to share his favorite destinations where your dollars make the biggest difference all around the world. It's going to be quite an adventure. So sit back and get ready to be inspired by Bruce Poon Tip. Bruce, thank you for joining us today on Travel That Matters. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I'm really excited to talk to you about some of these destinations and this concept of kind of the impact of where your tourism dollars have the most impact. But first, I want to know how this all started. So you're in your 20s, what, 22, I think, backpacking through Asia. Yeah. You know, was there one moment it just hit you and, and you knew that this is what you wanted to do and that you're going to, you know, start this company, G Adventures, and embark on a career in travel? Yeah. I mean, I was, it was 1990. I was backpacking through Asia on like a $10 a day budget. It was like staying in, in a, a hostel and, you know, staying with a local family, you know, meeting their children, eating with the family, you know, every night. And then seeing coaches go by with people in air-conditioned buses staying in the Hilton. I remember particularly that this one <laughs> moment where I saw just a bus of people and there was an American and on a microphone in the front and everyone was isolated in this bus. And I thought, you know, they're experiencing some, such a different world than I'm experiencing in this country where everything is westernized for them. And so that was really my eureka moment when I was backpacking, saying like, there's got to be other people. Because at the time, you, there was no other options for travel. You either got a guidebook and did it yourself or you took 
a mainstream holiday like a cruise or a, a compound resort holiday or a coach tour. Is it fair to say that that's what you do now with G Adventures is that, you know, you're taking that kind of the authentic staying with the family and so on. So, but then also offering a certain level of comfort and luxury that those sealed off travelers might have, have felt, but, uh, you, you know, we're missing out on the other component. Is that, are you combining the best of the two now? The original concept was obviously getting people in touch with local communities and culture. Um, but how we do it now is very different because we have, you know, relationships with National Geographic where we do National Geographic journeys. We have active trips. We have, you know, trips for millennials and we have, you know, higher end trips and, you know, and we have expedition trips on, on ships, sailboats, all different types. So we have, you know, different demographics and, but we make it easy and comfortable and different levels of service from luxury all the way down to millennial type, hostel type trips still. But the common thread is the experience, cultural immersion local communities benefiting and creating a full transformational experience for everyone. Which kind of goes back to that classic post-college or whatever it is, backpacking experience. You, you said you did Asia. I've done, you know, I did Europe. I did Latin America. Yeah. The, I mean, the, I think those trips shaped so many of us and, and whether it created that bug of that we need to travel for the rest of our lives or not, it really shaped us as travelers. It shaped us as people, you know, but I also think over the years we evolved as travelers, right? So. You know, we improve as travelers, I would say. I don't think that's something people really talk about, but we get better at traveling over time. 100%. What, how have you improved over the years since that, you know, that kid who was backpacking through Asia? How have you improved as a traveler? I think I call it a career. You have a career as a traveler. And as you get more experienced, you start having individual experiences and appreciating things as they are individually on, as their own experiences, as opposed to always creating a comparative. I find it very strange when people say, you know, what's your favorite country? that would mean that you're comparing it to others. My answer to that is my last, the last place. Where's your, you know, the last place I've been. And so you can go to places very early. Like when you go to a place that would travel locally in North America, or you go to Mexico or the, you know, the Caribbean, and it's, it's a little easier to consume as a first or second time traveler. But if you go to India, to truly absorb India and to appreciate India for everything it's worth, you, it should be at a place in your travel career where you're not comparing it. You're just there for the experience and in real time and absorbing it in the moment. I like that. You got to work up to it a little. It's, it's like a, a, you know, a travel career arc. You got to start and build and build and build. And I do think, you know, going back to that backpacking experience, it was the kind of foundation for so many different trips that many of us have taken over the years, both cultural trips, adventure trips, you know, <laughs> city party trips, whatever it is, that backpacking trip had all of those elements. Yeah, I mean, you can get whatever you want when you travel. You can do it in a way that's the right way to do it. And when you're younger, you want to drink and maybe party. When you're older, you want maybe more cultural and more uh, mosques and, and there's meaningful times. And then you, then you get to a point where you're traveling with your kids and your eyes reopen again. I mean, in, I, I mentioned India before, but I went to India many times. I think I went to India too early once where I thought, wow, this place is just crazy and didn't fully appreciate it because it kind of assaulted all of my senses the first time I went there. And it, it, was, I was, it was too early in my travel career, if you, if, if you will. And then I went numerous times. And then la my, one of my last trips before COVID was with my family, taking my kids to India. And it was a beautiful, magical experience where, you know, I traveled all these years and I really appreciated India with new eyes through my children, teenage children, older teenage children. And it, and it, was, a, it was a brand new experience for me. It was an, and it was amazing. It's true. And it's same, you know, even specific types of trips that applies to For instance, you know, 
Africa, a lot of people will say, first trip to Africa, go to South Africa or Kenya or Tanzania, something a little more, you know, classic safari experience, and then work your way up to maybe a Namibia or a Uganda or a Rwanda. And so I think that it, it can apply to travel in general, but then also specific types of, of trips and destinations. I think what's really important, Bruce, is that people are just more purposeful and mindful when they travel. Like actually plan it and actually look at those things when you're mapping out where you want to go and why you want to go. I think that's the most important thing as opposed to, you know, just, I think people are too either motivated by price point or amenities. We're at a place in the industry where people say, okay, well, you know, I need these level of amenities, so I'll travel here or tour operators are promoting amenities first. And then the destination becomes relevant. And I just think that's very dangerous for the travel industry. I think we just should, we should be mindful of where we want to go and think of these things like, okay, I want to do an African safari. I'll go to a place for my first time in Africa and actually plan out your, the arc of your kind of travel career and your future and know that, you know, you have, you know, your whole life to travel. You know, another way that G Adventures, I've noticed you guys promote destinations, not just on the, you know, certainly not amenities first, but, but about the experience first, but then also about the impact of that experience. So I know you guys created something called the, the ripple score, I believe, where you kind of gauge and measure and are very transparent about the amount of your dollars as a tourist that remain locally, that go to local businesses, the local owners. Can you just tell us a little bit about that concept, how you started it and why, and kind of what, what good you see come of it? It was a labor of love and it took us five years to do it. So it was a dream to be able to try and create something that when people were deciding on where to go or even an individual trip within a country, like somewhere like Peru, we'll have 70 different trips that you can choose from. And there's many different motivations of what you want to see, where you want to go. But we wanted to create a new trigger for people to say, this is the impact that you have locally with your money staying in the local economy. And how could we create you know, a score that shows people that. And really what we're trying to find out is, you know, the hotels are locally owned, all the services. And, you know, when we started down this track, it was like, how are we going to do it? And how are we going to make it verifiable? And how are we going to use like an external company and use technology to change our own behaviors as a company? Because it, it has to do with the buying process, with doing a survey, with every hotel, every service, every transportation pro- provider, whether it's a train or whether it's a hotel, as is, are they locally owned? Is the management local? Are they hiring people that are local? And we were surprised once we kind of opened that Pandora's box, once we started asking the question, how many places we were using that were not locally owned? A good example is one of the main costs in Peru is is the train to get to Machu Picchu. It's an expensive train and it's not owned by a proven company. It's owned by a European company. So that gets a zero on the ripple score and suddenly any trips and creating that behavior within our organization on how we buy. So we ask those questions beforehand, and if there's two hotels, and one that has a local management is hiring people within a, you know, a 10-kilometer radius of their hotel, that truly is a local hotel. And the score is reflected in that. So when people actually buy, they know their money that's used to operate their trip is actually staying in the community. So how, how do you address that, though? With, let's, let's go back to the Machu Picchu example. If that train is the way that people get in and that, you know, how are you getting your people to Machu Picchu if you're, if you're not using that European-owned train? Peru Rail is the rail that everyone uses and it's owned by, you know, Louis Vuitton and Belmont, believe it or not. But then we found out that there was this other train with just a few cars called Inca Rail, which was local. But it's pretty rough. It's a pretty rough trip compared to. <laughs> so we couldn't use it with all Not of as rough trips. as hiking in. <laughs> but we couldn't use it for all of our trips. But there's an actual train car called 
Incarail, and we created a relationship with Incarail to allow some of our, you know, younger, more rough and ready type trips that are willing to take uh, uh, the Incarail and look at it as, as an experience. Okay, so all this work that went into kind of researching this Ripple score and, and this whole concept, you have spent a lot of time looking into what parts of the world tourist dollars stay local and and mm-hmm. what parts of the world those dollars do the most good. They have the the, the highest impact for local communities and, and environments and, and everything else. And this is something just for the listeners. I told Bruce before this interview that I wanted him to talk to us about the destinations around the world Mm-hmm. where your tourist dollars do the most good. I have no idea what he's going to talk about here. And so I am very excited to to learn about great destinations. You know, we're not talking about places that, that none of us want to go, right? I want to hear about great destinations where, as a traveler, my tourist dollars are going to have the highest impact, the most positive, uh, you know, impact. Mm-hmm. Let's start with the first one. Where are you going to take us first? Egypt, because Egypt is so dependent on tourism. Tourism is a massive industry for them, and it's the you know the most important form of income to the, and revenue to the country. Obviously, massively devastated by COVID, um, because they're so dependent, and there's not other options for a lot of people in those industries for employment. Egypt is a beautiful country. I mean, those pyramids and the Egyptian history are iconic. I, I suggest it's one of the, one of the places I suggest everyone to get to as soon as they can, because in the best of times, Egypt is packed. It's like Disneyland, actually. If you're lining up in these rows to get into a single pyramid, you get into maybe two a day. I went just after COVID hit, I was there and before it shut down and it was empty. And right now people can get into any temple, any pyramid. There aren't the long lines in, in the heat. It's a fantastic place to go right now. Very nice. Okay. Where are we going next? From Egypt to? I'm going to go to Ecuador. It's so diverse and so unspoiled still. You know, you've got everything from the Galapagos Islands, you've got the Andes Mountains and the Amazon jungle all in one country. It's one of my favorite countries in the world and the most underrated, best kept secret, I would say. But also, so your dollar goes far, number one. And it's a beautiful country and the impact on people and everything outside of the Galapagos Islands. Galapagos Islands is where everyone goes and there's, it's heavily regulated. It's expensive. There's amazing things out there. And it's one of the places I suggest everyone sees in their lifetime. Majority of the experiences are local. There's not a very, very organized tourism industry there. And so there is, and so everything, the restaurants, the hotels, and everything is very local, and the impact is immediate on the communities there. So give me an example of something that you've witnessed personally or, or you know, that you guys do that has a direct impact on locals. Our very first trip was in Ecuador 30 years ago with a gentleman by the name of Delphine who lives in the Amazon. He's an Amazon tribe, and we've actually spent, go spend nights with his community and to spend with him. We've been sending a group every month there since 1990. That's also created a positive impact on them being able to, to preserve their community in the Amazon. Whereas when, I, when we went there in 1990, there was many different families in the Amazon, and he's one of very few that still live in the Amazon, because and tourism has preserved their culture. But I'm actually going to say another one, which is the Otavala Markets, which is in, in the hills outside of Quito, happens every Wednesday and Saturday. It's the largest craft market in South America, the Otavala Markets. And all the Andean communities come down to the Otavala Markets on these days. And it's just an amazing day out in the, out in the mountains, the Otavala Mountains. You can, you can walk around the area and take walks during the day, but you spend the whole day there, go in the morning, and you do all your shopping there. And, and it's also that whole market experience where you're negotiating for everything you want. Some people love or some people not like that, that we give tips on how you negotiate because it's a bit of a game. 
And that's all part of the experience of the Otobel market. So one of the most colorful and beautiful markets in Ecuador. You know, I was just in Ecuador and I had the opportunity to go to that market and I did not do it. Now I am definitely regretting that decision. What else, um, what else am I going to regret here? Where, where else are you taking us? Thailand and Vietnam. I'm going to put Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam together. Southeast Asia, I'm going to kind of put it together. Um, again, these are countries that are so diverse and offer so much and so different in terms of what they offer. But, you know, Cambodia being extremely poor country, the tourism and Angkor Wat is one of the most beautiful, iconic places in the world that everyone has to see before they die. Thailand, because they're, Thailand has beaches, beautiful northern Thailand, hill tribes, jungles. Thailand is Thailand. It's an amazing place. Cambodia has Angkor Wat. And then Vietnam has the, all the, the French history of the French occupation. Obviously, the Vietnam War, the history there is incredible. And it's got this amazing train system that you can go from Hanoi to Saigon and go th right through Vietnam by train. If you have a enough time, you can do all those in one circular trip. These countries are where tourism has an immediate impact on the communities. It's an amazing cultural experience. Your dollar goes really far, so you're getting an, an amazing experience. And right now, just the opening of these countries, tourism is so needed. So you're going to have such an impact and you're going you're to be so embraced when you come back and travel next to these places because they're so willing and ready for tourism to come back. How do you, okay, so you've brought up the, the pyramids in Egypt, mm -hmm. Ecuador, and now Angkor Wat in Cambodia. I mean, these are three places that, that clearly, you know, the, one of the big discussions before the pandemic was over tourism. These are three areas that have, have clearly been part of that discussion and debate. How do you do a place like Angkor Wat differently in a way that you're not going to be, you know, rushed in in the, the tour bus with everybody else? And then also where your, your impact is going to be more with the locals rather than, you know, some international chain. Well, the, the truth is you can't in terms of Angkor Wat. So Angkor Wat's a day. The, okay, Angkor, Wat, Angkor Wat is, is an amusement <laughs> it's a tough one. I mean, it's not a destination. It's just like Venice. I always say that over-tourism is very relevant, but some of these destinations are no longer tourism destinations. They're amusement parks. But Cambodia, Bruce, in general, like the wider Cambodia is amazing. It's an amazing, beautiful, diverse place with amazing people, amazing things to see, a beautiful, beautiful culture, tragic history. And so much to learn and experience for people. Transformational destination, actually, Cambodia. You can't go there without seeing Angkor Wat, and you have to put up with that day. It's like Taj Mahal. You can't have a personal experience at Taj Mahal. It's like Machu Picchu. You also, you, we, we talked yeah. about Machu Picchu earlier, too. And, and honestly, you know, Machu Picchu is a must if you're going to Peru. However, chances are, like on, in my personal experience, certainly, it was all the other things I did in Peru that really, really stood out from that trip. It wasn't Machu Picchu. It was strikingly beautiful. As it is, it is, like you said, an amusement park. And so I, I, to me, it's the experience in the Amazon. Yeah. So, yeah. And you have to, you have to be able to look between those, uh, like look around that because you do want to see Machu Picchu and it is what it is. And you, you, you know, the day that you're there, you're going to see 5,000 or 10,000 or even more type people that are there every day that go in. It's something iconic that you want to see, but it's everything around you, right? That, that, that's there. Um, Vietnam doesn't have one iconic thing. It's just a, it's just a beautiful country that, just got an amazing, amazing history. Some of it was extremely tragic, but like the French occupation and the French history there, is, it's really incredible how it's created an incredible culture where you go to these, you know, small little towns like Hoi An on the beach, but there's these amazing French bistros and, you know, it's just unique and different and it's beautiful. Let me ask you a question about Vietnam, Thailand, Cambodia to a lesser extent, but th these are areas that are, are known for their incredibly beautiful beaches that became very, very popular over the years. They've also struggled with immense 
pollution, plastic waste, things like that. And a lot, in a lot of the more popular areas, is that something, I don't know if you know, but is that something that's improved as tourism kind of dried up for the past 18 months or has it gotten worse and, and it's, you know, tourism has the opportunity to come in and, and kind of get things back on track? Just prior to the pandemic, things had improved immensely. Everything towards sustainability and the idea of connecting sustainability with tourism was just skyrocketing in the mindset of the traveler. And that, of course, impacted operators on the ground. So we, everyone was behaving very differently and we were on quite a road. And unfortunately, the reality of sustainability is that it has a cost. And one of the first things that kind of goes backwards sustainability and all those things that cost, uh, which is, is at, at this stage in our life is, is considered a luxury, gets cut back a bit. And then we have to rebuild it like we were going to rebuild tourism. That's the honest answer. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that myself is that kind of these single-use plastics have, have kind of made a big comeback at a lot of the, yeah. the hotels and resorts. But like you, like you said, hopefully that's just kind of a temporary blip based on, you know, reality, current realities, certainly. And that it will, you know, that progress that was being made will, will pick back up again in, in the years to come. If we can do anything as an industry, Bruce, it's educate the consumer. We spend so much time asking what are operators going to do, but actually operators, we're set to deliver what customers want, right? And so if we actually, actually educate the customer and the customer comes with a demand that they're going to book this or book that, or they want to see this service, that's when the industry really moves. going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to hear more of Bruce Poon Tips top travel destinations. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Women Who Travel is a transported podcast for anyone curious about the world. We talk to adventurers and athletes I've raced the God's Own Adventure Race, which is on the South Island and goes through the mountains down in the Southern Alps on New Zealand. That was eight days spent out in the wilderness. And chefs. Iranian food is home, it's family, it's love. And we share dispatches from our listeners. Ireland is full of these, I will call them ghosts of the past. From stampeding elephants to training sled dogs. We hear it all. The dogs will curl right up with you, and it can be kind of cozy waiting things out. New episodes of Women Who Travel publish every Thursday. Join us wherever you listen. Welcome back to my chat with G Adventures founder Bruce Poon Tip. Okay, so you've taken us to North Africa, to South America, Southeast Asia. Where are we going next? I'm going to go to Costa Rica. So Costa Rica, and I, I put Costa Rica in there because Costa Rica has done an amazing job of coming back. Tourism is a massive industry. The government is works hand-in-hand hand in Costa Rica, promoting na a natural destination. Costa Rica has one of the largest percentages of its land preserved in, uh, as, as national parks. Costa Rica is a model globally of how government and tourism can work hand in hand and promote a sustainable natural destination. And the government does its part by protecting the land to preserve it for, which will increase tourism. And I think Costa Rica is the type of destination that really appeals to a lot of people right now. Very outdoorsy, not crowded cities. You're out there, you've got a lot of space, the beaches, the jungles, whatever it is, that, that feeling of 
connecting with nature and, and having space. And as we were talking before, uh, Bruce, about travel career, Costa Rica be, can be an early in your career type destination. It was very <laughs> early in mine. Yeah, very it's early a country that you can yeah. experience on any level of travel. And it's, it's, it's such a beautiful country. And if you're, you know, when you're just starting to travel or you're early in your travel career, so to speak, it's, it's one of those countries that you can go anytime with family, with friends. It's a beautiful place. It is indeed. Okay. Okay. I'm going to, the next one I'm going to say is Morocco. So Morocco, beautiful place. Tourism is such an important, again, part of their, the well-being of the, of the local communities, culturally beautiful place, like the history, the monasteries, the mosques, the, you know, just everything. Marrakesh, of course, Casablanca, all of these places are just incredible places to visit. The deserts, the camels, camel safaris in the desert, all of these things are all benefiting local people. And again, answering your question of, of local impact, Morocco is just one of those places that everyone shares in tourism dollars there because it's done so well. The country allows you know, small businesses to start and make it easier for people to enter the industry. So that choice is what travelers really want. And then you can find all these unique places, accommodations, experiences, whatever it is all over Morocco that you are going to benefit families, communities, local impact, and just even all the accommodations, all the places you can stay on any level, whether it's luxury level, all the way down to small haciendas, you'll find them in Morocco. We talked about the diversity of experience in, in Ecuador. Morocco is another one of those countries where, I mean, you can f you could feasibly go surfing in the Atlantic in the morning and go, you know, snowboarding in the Atlas Mountains in the afternoon. It'd be <laughs> tough, but you could you could pull that off. And and then of course the cities, the culture, it is incredible, and the deserts as well. How how important do you feel it is for people to get out of the Marrakeshes? You know, I I love Marrakesh absolutely. Anyone who goes to Morocco should. 100% see Marrakesh if you haven't been there before. Yeah. However, you know, how important is it to get out of that place and, and experience some of these smaller areas where the, you know, the, the tourism dollars help spread the wealth a little bit? Uh, you, you miss everything if you go to Marrakesh and leave Morocco. I mean, you see one side of Morocco and it's, and again, I would say Marrakesh is somewhat of a, a tour, a traveler's town. Um, it's beautiful as well. I mean, you can't miss it either. That's the thing. I mean, I would never go to Morocco and not take someone to Marrakesh. Now, what, if, if there's one, I'm going to put you on the spot here, if there's one place or one experience in Morocco that just stands out for you, something that you highly recommend someone does on a trip there, what would that be? I think it's the Bedouin uh, camel safaris, in, camel safari in the desert. And you go into the desert and you can go in by four wheel drive, or you can go all the way in by camel. You can choose many different, there's many different operators, many ways you can choose it. Like these camps, like you think like they, they set up the whole tent camp for you. And it's not like, it's not like an A-frame tent that you think you're camping in North America. These are kind of circular tents with rugs and chairs and tables, and it's they're beautifully set up. And just spend the, spending nights in the desert and going in by camel and eating uh, amazing local food. I mean, and the stars where it's, you know, you realize how much noise we live in when you go to a place like that, right? Because it's dead quiet, dark to, to see the beauty of the stars. It's, that's, it's something you can't experience and you have to experience. Nighttime in the deserts of Morocco. Amazing. Anything else in Africa or? We have to talk African safari, right? And I'm going to go a little bit off here and I'm going to go, because you mentioned it before, and I'm going to say Namibia. Okay. One of my most favorite countries in the world. So few people go unspoiled and just so diverse. Like you got the skeleton coast, you got the coast, you got deserts. 
You've got safaris in Atasha. I always say everyone has to do a safari once in their lives. And, you know, people naturally go to South Africa or Kenya, Tanzania. And you still can have that African safari experience in much more unspoiled camps or, or, or parks like uh, Atasha, which, you know, and it's very different because, because it's so dry and arid and, and, and desert in some regions. Because you know when you go on safari, wildlife is dispersed everywhere, but the attraction often, often is watering holes. Well, that experience intensifies in an arid kind of desert region where water is even more scarce than Kenya or Tanzania and the watering hole kind of visiting of watering holes and seeing the diversity of animals. And it's, it's an incredible experience. And you talked about the nighttime sky experience in Morocco. I would, I would say that Namibia is arguably the best spot in the world. I, I don't know that, but uh, it, it actually is. You can do the nighttime sky. And you're seeing, of course, a different sky than you did in Morocco, which is in the, the, in the northern hemisphere, right? If you ask any travel photographer, a majority of them, a, a, most people will say the best light to photo, for photography in the world is in Namibia. It's also a very fun destination. I, I will say I went with my son years ago and, you know, just like climbing up giant sand dunes and running down them is, is super fun it's just there's so much to do there i i yeah i went with my daughters actually to soak up we we skydived <laughs> I, my first time my daughter skydived there with me ate biking in the desert dunes like uh like atv type it, that one of, one of the most magical days we've actually shared as a family was that day and again i'm going back to your question which is the impact that you would have because all of the businesses there are local all of the businesses that you have there are local because they're Operators are, are there, global operators are there, but not in a big way. And so you can, it's easy to have an impact. And I know that they've really struggled with reopening a lot of starts and stops with Namibia. It's, it was open and then it wasn't, and then it, you know, and, and I know that's really impacted that industry in that country. So hopefully things will be looking up for them going forward. And I think that, like you said, it is an incredible destination. Maybe again, back to the, the concept of travel career, maybe it's not your first trip to Africa, it can be, but I, you know, second or third. I actually think it could be. Windhoek is an amazing city too. Do you spend time in Windhoek? I have. And in fact, you're, you're talking about the different cultures and languages. I, I, I was just telling my wife this story the other day. I was in a, a Woolworths in Windhoek and I heard two people speaking in a click language to each other. And I'm like, where on, where else on earth are you going to be able to <laughs> hear people speaking in clicks to each other in a Woolworths? So that, that, that's, that's what I remember about Windhoek. I mean... I, I remember one of my th uh, funny things about Windhoek is the day that the movie Titanic opened around the world, it opened in Windhoek. I saw it in Windhoek <laughs> on opening night. <laughs> so it gives you an idea of how modern that little city can be, yet the culture is amazing. And their German history, where you can find these amazing German pastry shops and strudel shops and stuff and German food mixed with the Namibian culture. If you're interested in cultures like I am. It's fascinating, Namibia, in Windhoek, but then get outside and it's just wild. Get outside and have fun. Absolutely. So, okay, we have a, we have a great variety of, of destinations to look forward to where we know that our tourist dollars are going to do good. Now, of course, that's, you know, not just a blanket statement. You can't just kind of go to any of these countries and assume that your, your dollars are going to the right people, but, but it's a, a very good start. What are some of the steps? And that, that's kind of what I want to ask you now is just, in general, no matter where you're going, give me like a few steps that, that someone can take to make sure that their dollars are going to a good place. It's all about asking questions. I mean, it's, it's, it's easier than people think. You know, when you're booking things and you, you know, whether you're doing it all yourself or you're do, using one company like, like ours or any company, 
just ask the question like, and find out what they're doing. There's two different types of companies. There's companies that kind of do stuff on the ground in a kind of more of an arm's length way that kind of donate to a local NGO or, and that's, that's fine. I mean, that's, that's one way. There's, there's people that are really invested in the community and, and making sure like, like we're very obviously invested creating the ripple score. We have community projects in every country run trips to our, our foundation Planetara. And if you ask anybody when you're booking that, they should be able to tell you what they do. If they can't, or you have to go and find it and search it somewhere on their website that they have this, then it's, they're probably not doing very much. There's a lot of greenwashing that exists. Right. So the first thing, and that's, that's if you're going with an operator, but when you actually go and look and you're booking things, it doesn't hurt to throw in a question is, you know, and find out who owns the hotel, who owns this. Is it, is it a local person that owns it? And they'll be able to tell you, you know, so-and-so who's lived here, born here, been here his whole life. Everyone, you know, you can ask the question when you're making the booking by just saying, you know, I'm interested in coming. I want to take this day trip or I want to take this excursion. And if you don't get an answer back, ask again. And if they don't answer back the second time, find someone else. And then when you're on the ground, spread the wealth, eat at different restaurants, shop at different places. If you're, because a lot of people book a hotel and they stay within the hotel and shop within the hotel, eat within the hotel. Don't book all inclusive. Like make sure your money is impacting people. Then you use different taxis, local guys, local services, local excursions, different companies every time, and just spread the wealth. Just be conscious of the power that you have when you decide to travel. It's a privilege. I think ap appreciating that privilege is something that clearly you, you appreciate it, that you are creating these experiences for people who that travel is precious. Like you are creating a block of time, a week, whatever it is, like they are trusting you with something that is extremely important to them, extremely special. And you, you know, you create these types of transformational experiences for, for your clients. So, uh, so for people, so thank you for doing that. And, and thank you for chatting with us today here on Travel That Matters. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And now for the Wallen Wrap-Up. I really, really like Bruce's outlook on travel. And as he talked about, look, G-Adventures puts together all kinds of trips from, you know, what he referred to as rough backpacking type trips to luxury expeditions on sailing yachts. But they all have that common thread of real, you know, authentic local immersion and experiences. Now, I think on the luxury side, there's this, you know, common misconception that Either the whole local first approach doesn't offer the same level of, of service and amenities, but, but also the reverse that by, you know, staying in luxury hotels or, or traveling by yacht, you're somehow cutting yourself off from local experiences. I strongly believe that those two things are not mutually exclusive. And when you can combine them, the, the local and the luxury, it, you know, typically adds up to the best kinds of travel experiences. Now, I just got back from the Galapagos, which was, you know, it's one of those places that Bruce cited. I personally traveled with a company called EcoVentura, which was absolutely first rate, you know, in terms of the, the product, the service, the amenities, you name it. They operate two yachts or ships. I'm not sure you know, how you would classify them, but they, they, each of them holds a maximum of 20 guests, very high end, like a, you know, floating African safari lodge. You know, from my experience, they were at the very, very top of all the offerings in the Galapagos. Now, EcoVentura is is based in Ecuador. It's owned by an Ecuadorian guy, and every single employee on that ship was was Ecuadorian. You also, of course, as as every visitor does, you you pay park fees that help fund the Galapagos Marine Reserve. Which, by the way, the Ecuadorian president just signed a new law expanding the size of that reserve by nearly fifty percent, which is fantastic news. But 
on top of all that, on top of the fact that you felt like, okay, your money was going to local people and, and local conservation causes, it also made the experience that much better. The, you know, the guides, the captain, the first officer of the ship, these were all people who loved the Galapagos and they loved sharing it with us, with outsiders. And they clearly loved what they did for a living. And I, I, I'll say one of my favorite things about this trip was that like, We've got, you know, some three different excursions every day. And usually on one of those outings, one of the staff members would, would come with us. So we'd, you know, we'd show up for our afternoon snorkeling trip and there was the first officer in her bathing suit, wearing a GoPro and ready to jump in with us. We, we snorkeled with her, with the captain, and they're out there like filming all the fish, filming us, having the time of their lives. And, and, you know, we're there, of course, we're having the time of our lives. We're not, you know, we're not used to swimming with sea lions and turtles and penguins and sharks in the, in the Galapagos every day, but watching the people who, who do get to do this every day and, and seeing how much they loved it and how much joy it still brings them. It all made it that much more enjoyable for us. It was an amazing trip, one of the best I've had. And, and you're going to hear about it on, on an upcoming episode of Travel That Matters. So look local, plan thoughtfully, and have the time of your life. I'd like to thank Bruce Boontip for joining us today on Travel That Matters. For more information about G Adventures and the trips they lead, please check out our show notes or visit kurtco.com backslash travel that matters. The show is produced for Kurtco Media by AJ Mosley. Music by Joey Salvia. Assistance by Monica Kelly. I'm Bruce Wallen, and we will see you down the road. <laughs>